The book was better. Hello and welcome everyone to the book was better podcast. My name is Kaylee Clark. I'm Taylor Colette. And today, as we, I mean, spring has officially sprung. Spring I mean, has sprung. Happy spring. The, the official day of spring was probably a while ago. No, but it hasn't. It's felt March. Really like spring. It's like March 25th or something. So we're like right about there. That's recent. You know what? I'm Googling it now. First day of spring. Oh, yeah. Wow. It was March 20th. So actually, yeah, not that long ago. Yeah. Spring started. Spring sprung. Especially not in Hawaii, where it's the same freaking temperature every day of the year. But here in Denver, um, it hasn't really felt like spring until now, where the weather's finally warming up and it's like, I can let my kids play outside. So to celebrate... And because we were dumb and forgot that there were only two Percy Jackson movies, we decided to throw in a little spring easy time book and movie, which is Charlotte's Web. A classic. So it was not on our reading calendar, but today we will be covering Charlotte's Web, the classic book by E.B. White. Pictures. By Garth Williams. Sorry, because I was like, it's it's a children's book with illustrations. So I'm like, I need to give credit to the other person. Garth Williams. Good on him. This is my book. It's large. That is very large. <laughs> yeah, it. I got it at a, a used bookstore. Oh. And it is massive. Uh, hardcover. And um, it's nice. I could read it out loud to my children. Mm. Um, it was, this isn't like some super old edition, but it was published in the nineties. So it's like as old as me. So almost 30 years old. Stop. Um, <laughs> yeah. Love it. I feel great. Um, yeah. So it's still, it's a really, it's a pretty cool copy, a pretty cool edition. Um, I shared a picture of it on Instagram if you want to go look at it, but E.B. White's Charlotte's Web. It's like such a well-known and just loved story. And I don't I can't think of anybody who doesn't know what Charlotte's Web is, you know. Well, I'm sure there's people in other countries that don't know. Okay, I guess so. (laughs) Okay, We have listeners outside of America. Shout out to you guys. We see you and we're so grateful for you because... Reading is not just an American thing. Reading is an international thing. So. Facts. And I do hope that Um, in the future we can do some more international books and movies. Like we definitely have some Studio Ghibli films that we want to talk about. Um, Which Taylor and her Japanese knowledge can watch in the original Japanese. Yeah. Um, And I can watch Spanish videos in Spanish, though. There you go. I love watching Coco in the in, in Spanish instead of in English. What about Encanto? Um, does Disney Plus have uh, the? Well, I know they have like a Spanish train, like where you just change the audio on the movie. But like Coco has like its own separate. Yeah, I guess movie. that's true. Like yeah, Coco I don't... I'm surprised in Spanish. They don't. You'd think they would for Encanto. For Encanto? Yeah. You'd think so. You because it's set think. in Colombia. Mm-hmm. Oh look. Because it's just, I just think it's cool where when 
it's just all changed and it's adapted yeah. a little bit. And the voices, like the mouths match up still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if there's any international books or movies that you think we should cover, let us know because it would be fun to broaden our horizons. Speaking of, um, broadening I our recently horizons? got super into, no, um, international. I got super into K-drama recently. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because Netflix has some on there now. Yeah. And so they've got the business proposal, like, was popped up and was, like, recommended or, like, featured one yeah, day. Yeah, it was one of, like, and the top. I was top. like, oh, that looks kind of cool. And now I, and I, like, binged you have all to be the careful. episodes that were available. It'll suck you in. Well, it's one of those new episodes weekly. Is That's what, good because um, it keeps you contained. A business, the business proposal. Yeah. But I still joined in after there were already like six or seven episodes released. Mm. And the episodes are all minimum like 55 yeah. minutes. They're long. so long. <laughs> They're so long. It's They're amazing. So long. It's like I am- Bridgerton. Oh my gosh. No. Season two of Bridgerton. Think about how long those episodes are. Spoilers. I'm not saying anything about I'm just saying that the episodes are long okay. and I watched literally the whole thing in one night. I think it was a lot bad. of people I did not did. go to sleep until 4 a.m. That sounds about right. <laughs> that was me in college with K-dramas, though. I spent many a sleepless night binge watching an entire K-drama. It was bad. I've seen too many. Yeah. I've spent so many hours. Um, I haven't, but like I, I, I have fallen down the rabbit hole now. I have to it, give you a few just, recommendations. They're real good. It tickles that spot because what I just want is I want that just like goofy, happy, romantic love. It's so pure. And it's so pure and it's so funny and like goofy and embarrassing at times, but it makes me laugh out loud. And when I have a lot of stuff going on in my life because I'm working two jobs and I am a parent to two children, like sometimes I just want carefree, funny media to entertain myself with and man does k-drama fulfill that yep. so or at least the kind that i so if you want us to do a mini sode on k-dramas let us know and i will <laughs> give you all the recommendations i'll give you the down low on all the k-drama shows because i i know them she could do the same with animation i could well. <laughs> i have seen over 300 anime so i could give that a real down low on that scary <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching it for over 10 years now because I started when I was like 12. Well, yeah, technically we started when we were younger than that. If you include card captors and Sailor well, yeah. Moon. I don't count those, though. I'm Pokemon. <laughs> that one's also an anime. But and Pokemon. Yeah. And Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. The first <laughs> and Digimon. We watched all of those. Oh, Digimon. The first one I watched being like aware this is an anime, though, was around the age of 12. Shout out Kenshin. Great show. Oh, Roroni Kenshin. I remember mm-hmm. that. Because I was like 14, and that was when I got into Inuyasha. Yeah, you got into Inuyasha. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so if y'all okay, are interested. Anyway, that was a tangent. If y'all are interested <laughs> in mini-sodes on anime or K-drama and our other nerdy interests, <laughs> let us know. Because clearly Hi, we can talk about geeky. them. Books are not our only passion. We just exposed a whole different side of ourselves. Okay. Um. Okay. Yeah. So. That was a tangent. Anyways, getting back to Charlotte's (laughs) Web because spring has sprung and we're feeling nostalgic for our childhood. Fun stuff. (laughs) Let's let's jump into it. So. 
We are we compared the book to the 2006 uh, rendition. I feel like that's uh, so the, the classic. Book, Most people know it. No, no? 1973, the animated musical. I feel like that's actually the one oh. that most people have seen. But I didn't want to compare it to an animated film. I wanted, I don't know. I just wanted to do the 2006 one. That's why I said do it. That's to the do one it. I remember <laughs> watching in school. Yeah, that makes sense because it came out when we were, you were 11, 10. Mm, yeah, 11. 11. 2006. Yeah, 11. 10 or 11, depending on what month it came out. Okay. I was like 13. So I wasn't necessarily like a kid anymore, but like I remember still seeing it. So, but it was published originally in 1952. And then an animated musical edition was released, uh, like movie version was released in 1973. And then the live action film came out in 2006. So we, we compared to the 2006 movie. Um, with Dakota Fanning. If you're trying to place it. So. 2006 Charlotte's Web was directed by Gary Winnick. I think that's how you say his name again. Who knows? Um, this is the first time where I've seen this. So obviously E.B. White wrote the book freaking forever ago. But then I have two screenplay writers and then somebody who writing credits is just film story yeah i saw that i don't know what that means i don't know what that means either but earl hamner jr did the film story okay and then carrie kirkpatrick and Susanna grant did the screenplay okay real quick actually what's what's a film story what's a film <laughs> story the story of the film the babe, what babe? The babe no, with the what's power. What's a film story? story that, that just told me about a plot. I'm like, no. In movie making. In movie making. What is voodoo, the voodoo, film story? Remind me of the babe. Do what? Remind me of the babe. There you go. I was waiting for you to get it. The story is the action of the movie and the plot is how the story is told. Wow. Not helpful. So not helpful. That doesn't. I imagine he was maybe the one who like initially at, adapted it from a book to a movie and said, OK, here's like the storyline. He like storyboarded it essentially. And then they brought in some actual writers to like write the okay. script. Well, especially because it is all those animals. That's a lot of CGI. Yeah. So, so maybe he was more of a that's, story. Maybe that's what he kind of did. Sure. Like sure. Lion King. I remember watching those behind the scenes of how they made Lion King. Anyway, Danny Elfman did the original music. Yeah. Like, OK, no Danny surprise Elfman. there why it was amazing because it was amazing. And then casting was done by Ellen Lewis and David Rubin. They did a good job. So as I'm about to get into it, they did a very good job. Um, so a brief little story plot review for Charlotte's Web is um, so it's a story about a pig named Wilbur. And Fern is this girl who finds and rescues Wilbur because he's really small and her dad was going to kill him prematurely because he was the runt. 
deemed worthy or whatever. And she saves him and she like wants to keep him. And she does for a little bit. But then they're like, hey, like a pig's not a regular pet. Blah, 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 blah. Basically, which is hilarious. Wilbur gets moved because there's people nowadays. Because nowadays that have pigs as pets. All the time. Um, but basically, Wilbur gets moved to her uncle's farm. Where the plot line, you know, like the basic concept still is that the uncle will feed the pig. The pig will grow. They'll fatten up the pig to still kill the Half pig. for Christmas dinner. And turn them, turn them into some bacon and ham. Um, ham and don't bacon. get me wrong. I am a big fan of bacon and ham. But uh, Wilbur sure is cute. And they did a very good Charlotte, job of making it a very cute pig. I'm going to I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. It's one of my things. Um, but Charlotte is the name of the spider who has a web in the corner of his pen in the barn. And she basically vows to save him and make sure that he doesn't get eaten. And she does this by weaving in her web words about the pig about Wilbur and it becomes this huge spectacle of a thing and it works and he like wins all these awards at different fairs and whatnot and they don't kill him but then instead Charlotte dies because she's a spider and let's be real spiders don't have very long lifespans not really um but it's not all sad because she has a million babies (laughs) that take flight I hate it so. so much um, there's, there's my version. There's my little plot line, storyline of Charlotte's Web. So here's the problem. <laughs> my children did something with my podcast notebook. And so I don't have written down who went first last time. Oh, no. <laughs> and I oh, don't no. remember. So we were doing so my good. My system, it was working so well and now it's gone. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's gone. So what did we do last time? It was a uh, Percy Jackson sea of monsters. Yeah. Right? I think you went first. No, I went first last time because I finished on the one with, we ship it, which means I went, you went first on that one, which means I went first last time, which means you go first. This okay. Time. So I'll go first. Yes. This time we Kay. got there. Cool. We figured it out. We're back to this system, guys. Okay. If this is your first episode, tuning in. Oof. Welcome. This is normal. Okay. (laughs) We're glad you're here. Um, Please, please stay. Please watch a different episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listen to a different episode. This is not a video. You can go watch two videos, though. We've got a, a couple on YouTube. Yes, three? Indeed. Two? Three? Two currently about to have a third. There you go. I'm going to put our Great Gatsby episode up also. Mm. That's also with We Ship It. So. Yes. There you go. So you can watch a couple. Um, okay. So my number three, here's the thing. Okay. This is a children's book that in my weird hardcover edition has 184 pages. Which may seem kind of long for a children's chapter book, except that there's illustrations. And isn't the text pretty big? And the text is pretty dang big. Yeah. So, I mean, really, all in all, it's not a very long story, Mm -hmm. which means it's not surprising that the movie really doesn't have that many differences. No. (laughs) And I kind of knew that going in. Right. 
we decided to do it anyway, because fun and it's our podcast and we can do what we want. So, <laughs> OK. <laughs> so that's where we're at. Anyway, so my my number three is not a grievance. Honestly, most of mine aren't real grievances. It's an anti grievance. So my yeah. number three is just that. So one of my favorite things about this book in general is the focus and message, I guess, that love can be an extremely strong and powerful like motivator outside of romantic love. Mm -hmm. Because the love between Wilbur and Charlotte in the movie, they definitely flesh out more of the love between Wilbur and Fern, mm -hmm. you know, bringing the other animals into it a bit more like, yes, it's different, a little bit different from the book. But it maintains that message and they do such a good job of showing that message and bringing that message to life on screen that love and friendship can be just as powerful as romantic love and that it's just as important in people's lives to animals as well as humans, you know, according to the book. But, you know, and it says, I'm sorry, I'm going to get this just happens with me. And if you're new here, you'll be this may turn you away. But if you're not new here, this won't surprise you where I'm going to go with this. But when you're a young girl, <laughs> here it is. So many, at least in our childhood too, like being born in the 90s, like 90s children and like feminism was starting to be a thing and whatnot. But still, like when you think about the media and the content that was marketed towards young girls and young kids, right? Very frequently, it was like romantic love was a major part of the plot. Disney princesses. Or was a major, a major addition to the conclusion or how you know the heroine or protagonist was saved or got their happily ever after right it was through romantic love in many cases but this is such a popular children's book and movie and things that i just think that that message and again, this was written in the 50s, man. Like, but that message is so important, I think, especially to children when it comes to setting up realistic expectations for their future, as well as just healthy relationships in general, that love in friendship is very important. And friend, friendly love can be toxic. Friendly love can lift you up and help. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. Some people may say I'm, I'm adding too much and going too deep into a children's book. I don't think so. <laughs> like, I feel like that was a very typical, like a very strong message. And that was what E.B. White was trying to get across. Um, and I just think it's really important because I would feel like. There, there are friends that. You know, like your soulmate doesn't necessarily have to be even like a romantic kind of person. Like you can find your soulmate in a friend. Mm -hmm. So it's like the that's my number three. It's an anti grievance. The movie seven, did a very good job at bringing like that to life. Seven different versions of love in Greek. 
it seven? I think it's seven. Okay, Latin classics major. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, essentially, they had literally different words for love. Words. Mm -hmm. Like, you wouldn't yeah, just say that. love like we do. They would spe specify it's, like, a parental love, a romantic love, a, like, a friendship kind of love, a selfless love. A sibling, love. a mentor. Like, uh, like there yeah. were different kinds of love. And I think that it's important to understand that. And I... That's why I think it's important for people to be comfortable saying I love you to people that they're not like romantically in love with or they're they're not related to. Mm -hmm. Like I say, I love you to my oh, friends. Wow. So you've got Eros, Philia, Storge, Agape, Ludus, Pragma and Felucia. It is Fela seven. Felucia. Wow. It is seven. I got that right. Yeah. Nice. So I, I agree. I think it sends a good message about love outside of familial or romantic obligation. Mm -hmm. And that's as deep as we're going to get this episode. <laughs> so I don't know. Wait till we get to my number one. I might get pretty enough. deep again. Sorry Fair about enough. it. <laughs> that's right. We'll have some fluff in the interim. Like my number three, which is just great cast. <laughs> Let's talk about the casting. They went all out for this one. They did not skimp on the acting budget. They did not disappoint. Here we go. So we got Dakota Fanning. Of course, she's small. She's adorable. She's a, a treasure. Julia Roberts is phenomenal as Charlotte. I think that she has that motherly, gentle, like guiding voice. Uh, they got Steve Buscemi. They've got Oprah Winfrey. They've got Reba McIntyre. They've got Kathy Bates. They've got, like, they really stocked the cast. And then we also, which I we learned and I thought was interesting, Dominic Scott Kay, who voices Wilbur, at the time that they made How this. How could you not mention Robert Redford? Sorry, did Robert I miss him? Robert Redford does Ike the horse's oh, voice. Oh, sorry, I, I missed him. That that's very important. I skipped over <laughs> him. Um, but Dominic Scott K, who does Wilbur's voice at the time of recording, was only like 10 years old. Like he was a, a kid that they got, mm -hmm. which I think is kind of cool. It's like in Avatar, The Last Airbender, how they actually got a kid to voice. Instead of getting an adult. Doing to, a kid's like, voice. Change their voice. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's really cool when they get actual kids in there because you really those nuances can be hard for an adult to fully replicate. Some do a very good job, but it can be tough. So I think that that was a smart move for them. And especially in the fact that Wilbur needed to be this sympathetic character from the get go that we all needed to feel for. I think they did a great job by giving him an actual children's voice because then you're just like, oh, my goodness, you must protect him. Um. And yeah, I think that they just could not have cast it any better. I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's my number three. I'm keeping it short since we have tangented a lot. <laughs> Facts. So, number two. I'm not going to say number anymore. Two. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Again, we don't feel like this is going to be that long. I don't know. We're already 24 minutes in. Because we talked yeah, so we much at the beginning. We don't have, we don't have a, like, we don't have fan faux pas for this one. That's true. And we don't have. A ton yeah, of honorable so, mentions. 
So my number two is the CGI. And it's another anti-grievance. Sorry about it. Just because I have arachnophobia like none other. Mm. It is so irrational. It is ridiculous that I, as a 28-year-old woman, react the way I do when I see or find a spider near me. Okay? It's bad. I cannot get myself to do anything about it. I can't get near them. They're in my house. Burn the house. I just try to keep a general idea of where it is so that by the time my husband gets home, I can tell him to do something about it. And then I have my conscience come into play and like, I don't want them to, I don't want him to kill the spider. I just want him to get the spider outside because I don't want it in my house. So listen, for me to feel anything for a spider, they do a very good job with this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) When Charlotte dies, I tear up. Okay. I cry every time. The CGI is so good. Mm -hmm. She's realistic looking enough without being absolutely terrifying and creepy. Yes. It reminds me. The pig is cute. You know, the the Lion King live action, how they kind of just Mm -hmm. were like, we need to make them look exactly like the animals in real life. And it kind of was a big miss with a lot of people because they were like, Where's the emotion? Where's like the I can't relate to this lion that has zero facial expressions like. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of like I'm glad they didn't do that where they were like, we need to make it look like an actual spider. It's like, okay, it needs to be a spider, but it also needs to be able to have like she's sympathetic enough. Yeah, because the rest of the animals they do. They look like. Regular animals. Yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of movies where they take real animals and have them talk and it just kind of like weirds me out and just yeah. doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. What's that one series? There's a series of movies about Air Bud? two dogs and a cat. Oh. No, but yeah, that exists too. And it bothers me. I just don't like them. No, it's about two dogs and a cat that like their family moves. I have no idea. And they have to like find their way home. I and the story know. I think is something like, the long way home or the journey home or something. There's, there's like but seven movies that have that same plot. It was <laughs> just like. That was before they had the. Like technology and capability to make it look like the animals were actually talking. Mm-hmm. So or at least to my memory again, I watched it when I was like seven. Um, but um, where it was just like. You could hear their thoughts almost more was Mm -hmm. how they did it. And it's like, so we've come a long way from that point. And it was realistic looking enough with how they made like the mouths and everything move while them still looking like realistic enough animals, but not to a point where it weirded me out. Like it was just a really good balance and it's aged really well. Mm -hmm. This was done in 2006. Yeah, no, they did a pretty good job. Like it's. 15 years later listen i don't do math in my head but still it's held up yeah 20 2006 to 2026 would be 20 years so to 2022 it's about 15 listen i'm rounding (laughs) close close enough i don't have to explain myself to you (laughs) um so yeah i was just really impressed with the cgi in the movie that's my number two yeah fair enough Sorry, I really needed to drink water. It's so hot in this house. Um, okay. What's my number two again? <laughs> I can't think. Oh, right. Okay. 
So this is an actual difference um, that I'm not mad at, but it is, I would say, one of the biggest differences between the book and the movie. Um, the movie definitely has a bigger presence and more emphasis on Fern and the relationship between Fern and Wilbur. Um, mm -hmm. Which I think is kind of nice because really when you think about it, like Fern is the one who saved Wilbur and like, if it weren't for Fern, none of this would be happening. And so I think it's sweet that they made it where she actually does see him, you know, this pig that she saved, like winning the awards rather than like, mm -hmm. like she, they still have a runoff in the fair, you know, but like she comes, she's able to see him win the awards. She's able to have almost this like closure with the story, which I think was really sweet. And I think that it added that human element to the story that maybe we as the viewers, especially in a movie format, needed. Because um, when you're watching it on a screen and it's just animals the entire time, again, <laughs> Lion King shouting that one out. I don't know. Sometimes it can be hard to like fully relate to it. And like feel yeah. like you're like a part of it. Whereas when they you have a character like Fern, you're like, oh, OK, the, you know, kin, I can like kind of relate more to this person who is going through these experiences. And this is how they're seeing it. And oh, they get the closure. Oh, I feel better through that. Right. So no, definitely. It's, I think in the book, it's hard with. Yeah. In the book, it's not as big of a deal because I feel like when you're reading, it's a little bit different because you're not like it's it's using a different part of your brain than when you watch a movie. Um, so I think that it was good that they did add that into the movie so that we could all relate and we could just appreciate a little bit more the impact that Fern had and the impact that Wilbur had on Fern. Yeah. And I don't know, I think. When it comes to reading anything you can when I'm creating it in my head mm -hmm. I sometimes find especially when I go back and reread something that like I embellish a character through my own imagining yeah of them. yeah and when I read it again I'll be all like I guess there actually really isn't that much to go on. I just like added to it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I remember Fern being a bigger part of the story. So when I did reread it, I was like, oh, <laughs> she, I mean, don't get me wrong. She's still there. Yeah. But I read something. What did I read? What did I read? I don't know. I might be making this up, actually. Cool. Um, I think Fern might have been I might be I might be making this up. I think Fern wasn't really in the story at all. Like it didn't even exist really beyond saving the pig. And then like that was it when E.B. White first wrote the book. And it mm -hmm. wasn't until like his final version that he was like, nah, you need this character because she's the reason the story exists in the first place. You kind of need her there a little bit more throughout the story. See what I thought. And so Fern doesn't Fern wasn't like she wasn't even named like she wasn't even a named character until like the final version, See what, like I final think, draft. of. The I book. think I get what you're saying, but I think what I read was he didn't know how to start the story. 
And so he added Fern towards the end because that was a way to have this beginning of how he got saved. Either way, it doesn't seem like he thought Fern was a very important character. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, true. Very true. And and like and then that's still there, like in the I don't know, it's. She's on the cover, the illustrated cover, like yeah. she is important enough to the, or at least the, to the illustrator, illustrator. <laughs> Garth Williams found her important enough to include in the illustration of the cover. And then as I, you know, just peek through, like she she does visit him like he does include her throughout, but not yeah. as much as she, but as she gets yeah. older. She, you know, stops visiting as much. And they and they still kind of show that in the movie with how like. Fern like goes off with that boy she likes yeah, or something. Yeah, she goes after the, the boy that she likes. She's uh, she's aging up. It happens. But I just like that you she know got that, that Dakota closure. Fanning was born in ninety four. No, I, I did always not forget know that. she's my age. I did not know that. Because again, in my head, she will always be a little girl. <laughs> yeah. But no, she was a little girl when I was a little girl. No, yep. and she was seriously born just like a couple weeks after me. Like we wow. were, we are like the same age. That's like, like that's like me and Post Malone. What? No way. Yeah, that's hilarious to me. Post Malone and I are only a few weeks apart in age. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Oh, Post Malone. Posty. Ah, uh, I do really like his music though. Yeah, and actually, he's a really funny, like down to earth guy. Yeah, another tangent. Yeah, he loves Olive Have you Garden seen his, and uh, Utah. Good Mythical Morning episodes. Yeah, because it's freaking hilarious. Yeah, if you've seen him on Good Mythical Morning, they're they're good episodes. Okay, or him with Upper Jimmy tangent. Fallon at the Olive Garden. Yeah, that's a those great are one. Good. <laughs> at the Olive Garden. At the Olive Garden. Anyways, another okay. tangent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was that you finishing your number two? That was I'm me finishing my <laughs> number two. Listen, I'm working like 70 hours a week right now. I'm very tired. So it's just really hot in this my apartment. My brain's pretty fried. So my brain is literally <laughs> fried. Okay, there you go. There you go. Okay. Um, honorable mentions. Um, I did have one and now I've forgotten it. I <laughs> No, I bad. mean, Fern is a little bit older in the movie than she would, would than she's in the book. OK, when the story starts. But maybe that's because. The storyline, I don't know, I just know she's supposed to be eight in the book, I think. And Dakota Fanning, when this movie was filmed, well, if it was released in 2006, it was probably filmed during 2005, maybe. So we can assume she was mm -hmm. 11 or 12. Yeah. Already when filming this. Yeah. No. Yes. Yes. She's my age. Yes. 2000, 1994 to 2006. Yes, she would have been 12. Yep. We got there. Okay. I got there. Um. Um. I will say. So, I mean, but that's a. That's a pretty common thing. Yeah, I in was these, like in these kinds of cases, they they do that a lot. I don't think it was bad. I think that the overall like. I think they added more jokes, which I don't think was a bad thing. 
I think it's a more comedic, fun watch. Because I think that they... We're going to get to that with my number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I like the comedy. Um, I... Really, I had one that I really wanted to talk about, and I literally cannot remember it, and this is driving me insane. Well, I lost my whole freaking notebook, so... <laughs> yeah. I mean, All just... my notes are gone, so... <laughs> Well, I didn't lose it. My children took it and put it somewhere and I have yet to find it. There you go. That yeah, is, I, I that think I think before we get into the number ones, the only thing that I would say is I feel like this is a really good example of what can be done with a children's book being turned into a feature length film without totally distorting the storyline. And that you can do it live action. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be animated. It doesn't, you know, because it's. When I think of the only other. Children, you know, when you think of it, it's just targeted towards a younger audience. We did Coraline, which was Claymation. We did um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was also some form of Claymation. Um. I mean, uh, another good live action telling of a children's book is Matilda. Mm hmm. That's a good one. That's live action. Um, but a lot of times I, I and, and I mean, the 1973 version of this book tells you that, too, where it's like there's this thought that like, oh, to to adapt a children's book into a movie, you have to have it be animated and you have to add music. Very often they feel yeah. like they need to turn them into musicals. Which and you really don't. I'm not going to say I hate the musicals. I love a good musical. No. But, but I, I do feel like it was not necessary in the 1973 version. I've, I've seen the animated version yeah, of Charlotte's yeah. Web. Yeah. I feel like the music, the singing, it's a distraction from the story. <laughs> Just tell me the story. <laughs> Even before they finally made a live action Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, which is the <laughs> Hobbit is a children's book. Yeah, that the animated, animated one? version of The Hobbit is classic. Just terrifying. It's classic. not great. I don't like it personally. I remember but growing up on that. It was yeah, it was a trip. It was <laughs> it was a thing. But yeah, so it's cool that they did a lot that they pushed to do a live action telling. Yeah. And yeah, of course, the animals are all still CGI, but the realism of it is still very cool to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes it more relatable in a way because it's like. Actual people. Actual Dakota Fanning saving. You just cut out pig. and I have no idea what you said. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like you cut out. and I have no idea what you just said. OK, <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest. It's not the first time that that has happened while we've recorded this episode. I just haven't always said something. So if there's been other times where you kind of look at me and you're like. Does she know what I just said? Probably not every time. Probably right. not. And so I'm you editing this will be a really bit fun. of an educated guess. Yeah, because I'll hear your side and be like, oh, that's what she said. Yeah. My comment now makes no sense. Yep. So if some of my comments make no sense. 
That's why. Okay. Um, okay, number ones. Yes. So my number one. While you say your number one, I may need to the, let my dog out, just so you know. So my number one is just that the movie, and this isn't surprising at all. The movie definitely, I think, tones down the overall darker tone or theme of the story, which is death. Right. Like. Whether it be talking about. Wilbur, you know, the story starts with Fern saving him from being killed. But then there's still that overarching story of, you know, the other animals being like, well, you know what they do to pigs? They slaughter them like that's just what they do, you know, and then the it, you know, still ends with a death, which is Charlotte's death with the message uh, also of like new life because she she dies. And then again, like I mentioned earlier, gives life to a million babies like just so many little baby spiders so Um, many spiders so many baby spiders but the movie by giving more personality and story to fern and her character development to the other animals in the barn they use the other animals in the barn as comedic relief a lot like they do add a lot of extra fluff and and comedy, which I'm not saying is a bad thing necessarily. Um, just but it's just a thing. It's something they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that it takes away a little bit from that message that or not that message, but just that that tone that like, hey, this is still something that's inav- unavoidable and inescapable. Everybody will die. And everything will die at some point. (laughs) Like, it's just. And maybe that may be because it's like it's a children's book. But again, okay, listen, I think this is important. And I think that E.B. White was on to something because I think that it's valuable to have conversations with children about those deeper things. And I feel like for a long time, the thought process was oh no, shield children from those kinds of things for as long as possible. And like, yeah, don't be super depressing about it. But I do think that it's beneficial to have those to to at least start having conversations about more serious topics with your children when they're still small. Because I do think that it sets them up for success as they're older. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying rob them of their childhood. It's not like we're forcing them to grow up faster than they need to. But it's like how many of us had have pets from a very small age? And it's like when they die, do did your parents have a conversation with you about it? Or were you one of the kids where they said that the dog went to live on a farm with <laughs> or something? You know what I mean? Like I had the very unfortunate opportunity We, my family adopted a cat and we, it was, he was a rescue. We, 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 we rescued a cat from a shelter. He had been found just like on the streets. He wasn't very old. He was only two years, two or three years old is what the vet guessed. And then only a month after finding a month after adopting him, we discovered that he had a fatal incurable disease that just cats get 
that was extremely painful for them. And like you could visibly see he was suffering and whatnot. And we had to put that cat down after only having him for like a month and a half. Mm. And my two girls were like 18 months and like three years old at that time and loved Spooky. That was the name of the cat. He was a black cat. We named him Spooky. He was amazing. He was a great cat. We loved him and we still love him. But it's like. I had to have a conversation with my 18 month old and my three year old about death and why it happened. And, and it's like do it in an age appropriate way. But it's like it's not you're it's not an inappropriate topic for children. And I like that this book has death kind of as a tone throughout the whole thing in some way or another, because it's not. It doesn't make it not a children's book. It's still a children's book. It's just a fact of life that it's not a bad thing necessarily to expose children to it younger, because then I feel like they can cope better with those kinds of things as they grow older. Mm -hmm. So I told you I'd get deep again with my number one. You so were right. My you were right. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, I definitely think. So the, the movie lightens that up a lot. Yeah. Um. I think it's still obviously there in the fact that Charlotte still dies in the end. And Wilbur um, still gets saved. And it's still sad because I cry. But otherwise, it's definitely much more lighthearted. So that's my number one. Yeah, I think that the movie definitely shifts the themes from like death <laughs> more to like what Wilbur is doing and the like how this pig who they thought was, you know, a runt and just going to die became this amazing award-winning pig. And the idea that doesn't matter, like, what you're told, like, you will be, you can be whatever you want to be. I think that that is more the theme that they focused on in the movie rather than just that of life and death. Which I don't think is bad know excuse me that's what i'm saying i'm not saying i don't know if i would say this is a grievance or an anti-grievance mm -hmm. or i'm just not sure which way to lean yeah it's just something i noticed i don't know so yeah fair enough what's your number one my number one is uh the relationship between wilbur and charlotte and specifically the other animals within the barn um i think that one the the other animals have more lines have more screen screen time i mean of course they have more screen time than in the book because the book has no screen but you know what i mean they yeah. <laughs> are present more they're mentioned more they're they have out more, more lines like like you mentioned a lot of it's for comedic relief but i think also their view of wilbur and charlotte is a little bit different in the movie. In the book, Charlotte is kind of like this wise, like, matron of the whole barn, almost in a way. I feel like all the animals almost revere her. Whereas in mm -hmm. the movie, it's very clear that they do not like her. They're like, gross spider. The horse literally faints. Like, no, no, no. In the beginning, in the beginning, yeah. yeah. And I think that it makes the relationship between Wilbur and Charlotte all the more special because in the book, it's like, 
oh, Wilbur's like, oh, everyone else likes Charlotte and respects Charlotte. I should do the same. Whereas in the movie, it's like, oh, everyone thinks that Charlotte's kind of weird, but I still want to talk to her. And she comes down and she's like, are you going to are you going to be scared of me, too? And he's just like, I don't know. I've never met a spider before. Exactly. (laughs) So I think it's it, it makes their bond a little bit more, a little bit deeper, a little bit more special. Yeah, I because can see that. he like went out of his way almost to befriend her. Um, so when she does eventually die, mm-hmm. it's like all the more potent because it's like, oh, she like your small lap dog is getting very large. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the distraction, but. Max just showed up on screen and he is much bigger than I thought he should ever get. So to be fair, this camera is distorting that view a lot. Uh, maybe a little bit, but still. Okay. There you go. There we go. No, he's still bigger than I think he should be. <laughs> <laughs> he is 9.6 pounds. We just went to the vet today. So sweet puppy. Um, what was I saying? Wilbur and Charlotte. Yeah. And Sorry. then the fact that Wilbur <laughs> then creates this relationship with the rest of the barn animals as well. And it almost is more all the animals have this this journey that they go on from thinking Wilbur's just this, you know, pig who's destined to die to seeing him overcome these odds and seeing him become this award winning pig and almost overcoming their stereotypes in a way um, of what pigs are and what pigs can be. And I think that even though it's not. And also what spiders are and what spiders can be. So even though it's not the deep story of death, like you talked about, I think it still (laughs) is a pretty serious theme for a children's movie. No, that's why I'm saying like, it's still a great movie with a fantastic message. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. For sure. So. (laughs) I do a puppy. (laughs) <laughs> hey, Joe Puppy. He's saying hi to you. Um, I can see that. Yes. I can't feel your kisses, but I can see them. So nice. Um, so we don't have fan faux pas. No. Which means we can just go directly into the age old question of was the book better? I don't I don't think it was better. No, I think I would put them on equal grounds with one another. That's what I'm saying. I don't I don't think the book was better, but the movie's definitely not better than the book. No, no. I I think they are both very well no. done. I would I would recommend yeah. either equally. I mean, if anything, if anything to me the book still wins out actually, but it's not such Just like a pure nostalgia factor. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but it's not anywhere near as passionate of an answer as most most movies we compare books to on this show. Yeah, no so. kidding. Um So hopefully this was just like a kind of fun chill episode for everyone listening. Um if you watched the movie read this book, like it's just so light on the mind despite having some of those deeper messages and tones, like it's still easy to read, easy to grasp and understand kind of thing. So hopefully you all enjoyed the mental break because that's kind of why we did it. Yeah. (laughs) As a mental break for ourselves. 
Um, speaking of mental breaks and breaks, um, so we have some kind of crazy weeks coming up when it comes to work and school for our husbands and whatnot. Uh, so, and just like projects and things being done at work. So we are going to kind of swap things around. So next week we're, we'll still be doing a mini sewed, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then the week after that, instead of doing, instead of starting our reading calendar, on April uh, 13th and doing a mini-sode on the 20th, we're going to switch those. And so we're going to have two weeks in a row of mini-sodes. And then we'll start our new reading calendar on April 20th with a very highly requested and long-awaited episode, which is Aragon by Christopher Paolini. (laughs) I will have much to say. So, I mean, it's a book series, but it only ever got turned into one movie. So we're starting out with just a singular Aragon. And it's actually kind of probably a good thing because that book is such a beast to read. This will actually give us a little bit of extra time to make sure we can finish the whole thing before we have to record. So, um. So, yeah, be on the lookout soon here for our new reading calendar to be posted. Uh, And if you are reading slash watching along with us, get started on Aragon because it can take me a little bit time consuming to read. So uh, otherwise, any other announcements or anything, Taylor? I don't think so. (laughs) But thanks for that uh, wraps it up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope that you have a great week. And don't forget to read.